Xenon floors are the industry leaders when it comes to quality live sawn European white oak. Available in pre-finished 7-foot boxed lengths with sizes from 2-foot to 7-foot 6 inches, they are finished using full-strength UV-cured urethane top coats. Longer lengths are also available using our unfinished planks for that custom look. Based in Massachusetts, Xenon Floors U.S., where European quality is partnered with U.S. service and integrity. Reach out to enquires at xenonfloors.com for more. That's E-N-Q-U-I-R-E-S at xenonfloors.com. Hey, welcome to another episode of Wood Talk, an NWFA podcast. I'm Brett Miller with the NWFA. And today I've got a, a very special guest, someone who I am looking forward to being at our symposium this year. And one of the presenters, one of three presenters that are going to be talking about, well, that the title is Defining Your Niche and Tapping Into a Million Dollar Market. I'd like to welcome John Yurima with Yurima uh, Marketry out of Oxford, Michigan. John, welcome and, and thanks for jumping on. Oh yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I am so excited to have you as a part of this, this panel um, and, and to have you on this, th- this podcast as a guest. I've known of your work. I've seen your work. I've only gotten to to somewhat know you over the last several months, um, just barely, and I'm just honored to be able to get to know you and see see what you do in your niche. I mean, you are so unique in our industry with what you do and the work that you have put out over over the past several 30, decades. Thirty I mean, years, yeah, thirty yeah, years. It's uh, <laughs> thirty years. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, so just start off. I mean, I'd like to, to let you just talk a little bit about you yourself, what, you know, your background and history and, and, uh, then we can kind of go from there. Yeah. I, uh, so I, I, my, if I get, I'll give you the quick, uh, run up, but we, uh, grew up on a farm in, uh, Romeo, Michigan. And, um, it was, uh, my dad was a tool and die maker. And, uh, so we, uh, you know, we lived on a hundred acres and, uh, I, you know, going through, you know, our, our, the whole, you know, first chunk of my life, we were, you know, we had sheep and horses and pigs and, you know, animals when we did, we planted tomatoes. And so we did the whole thing. Um, and then I, when I went to college, I thought, you know, I'm going to just, you know, you're always looking, waiting for someone to kick you in a direction. And, um, you know, I just went into, uh, systems, uh, to systems or computer science at Oakland university. And I, you know, I went part-time and I worked, at my family's tool and die shop and uh, sweeping floors. And so I never thought I would use that later, but um, I still do a lot of that. But we, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I worked there and I put myself through college and uh, got a degree in computer science. And I worked for five years for a company that Ross Perot uh, owned at the time, which is called EDS. Oh, yeah. And um, they were later bought, you know, down in Plano, Texas. And so, you know, went through the whole system there, went through their, they have a, boot camp for programmers in Plano. So I went through all of that. And then I was working in um, Troy, Michigan as a, a, a computer programmer. And uh, I hated it. I was horrible at it. <laughs> um, I was the worst. I mean, I, I, uh, I couldn't sit still. I couldn't concentrate considered, you know, uh, Ridlin or something where you're trying to force yourself to fit in that, you know, that, that round hole. And, uh, it just, it wasn't really a fit. And, um, my girlfriend at the time was now my wife and we will be married. Well, 
30 years this year. Oh, wow. And, uh, nice. yeah, she's, uh, so we bought a one room schoolhouse that needed everything. And, um, you know, I didn't know how to do anything. I, I mean, I, I lived on a farm. I worked with my father, but he was a guy that you would just go get things for. Um, he wouldn't let you run the saws. He wouldn't, he just would have you care. You know, you just did the, the, the labor portion of it, but you, you know, he was kind of a, he was a, he was a controlling guy and he was a great guy, but he was a, he was a hammer. So, uh, never really worked with a lot of tools, never worked with much, uh, in the sense of like woodworking, didn't have any background in it. And, uh, when I, um, um, graduated or I graduated from Oakland, got a degree, my wife and I, or my girlfriend at the time bought this one room schoolhouse and we started working on it and it just needed everything, which was, which was a, actually, it was the best thing that ever had. You know, sometimes you buy something, it's too nice to rip apart. There was nothing in this house this schoolhouse that was too nice to rip apart. So you were just jumping, you know, just jumping on everything, tearing out walls and putting in windows. And, and so learned so much. And then when it came to the floors, I didn't know anything about floors. I, I thought, well, I grew up on a farm. Let's go cut a tree down and let's just make <laughs> right. the floors. So I, I, uh, I, you know, we went out, picked the biggest red Oak and one red Oak did the entire house. Oh wow! And I thought, well, great. Let's, uh, let's cut this one down. So the guy, I found a guy with a wood miser and he came out. And so we start sawing and he says, well, where are you going to get it dried? The wood dried. And I said, what do you mean? Like, I would, I don't understand. What do you mean? Get it dried? <laughs> just cut it like, and put it down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He just, I was just going to lay the planks down on the floor, you know, green. And he's like, Oh no, you got to get it dried. I'm like, Oh, you know, before, you know, this is, and, um, so I'm like, oh, I got to get it dry. Okay. So I found a guy who would dry it. And then I found out that he would actually, and I didn't even think about making it into, I didn't even think that it needed to be tongue and groove. I didn't think it needed anything. I thought we were ready to go with square, but I, this is how a little I knew at the time. Sure. So I had, I had him, uh, you know, mill the boards into uh, S4S. And then I bought a router, didn't have any tools. And so all my Christmas gifts during that time from my father, my parents, everybody was tools. And so yeah. I, I bought some hand routers and made grooves and made a spline and groove system. And we pegged nice. it down. Um, and it was a ton of work. It was a horrible mill. I mean, we were fighting it the whole time, but it was just a great learning experience. And it actually turned out, you know, really nice. And so then huh. I'm working full time at EDS and my wife and I are working all night on the house, ripping things apart. And then my uncle said, man, that floor is great. I want, I want you to do my floor. I have some trees. So I went to his house um, and I cut down some trees and I made flooring for him, you know, same process, except then I, you know, by then I figured out you can actually get things tongue and grooved. Right. So I didn't have to burn out five, you know, cheap routers, black and decker routers. And we, we did his floor. And so I got some more tools and I, you know, I was, getting pretty decent at it. And, I, and then, um, at EDS, there was our program, uh, was shelved. And so the, you know, super, the, our supervisor said, Hey, anybody want to work on a different project? And I said, I do, I want to work here three days a week and, and, uh, work outside three days, you know, the rest of the week. And so that's how it all started. And hmm. so I started doing decks and anything, you know, I was just happy to make more than I think I was making, you know, at EDS as a computer science, you know, com, uh, computer science engineer i was making 15 dollars an hour which oh, was wow. like a you know back, back then which Pretty was decent money then. yeah yeah it was great man i was making 30 grand and i bought a rib and i smoked these giant cigars and drive my you know my buick riviera and it was really kind of funny <laughs> you know with this but you had the suit and the tie and he made you wear the same you only could wear a red tie a white shirt this place it was horrible i was bad at it and 
you know, I, I just went to my supervisor and I, you know, uh, and I, re- I still remember a face because I said, you know, it's just, you know, I'm leaving. It's not working out. All of a sudden, this giant smile came on her face. And then she, oh, wait a minute. I should be sad that he's leaving, not happy. So, <laughs> you know, she got this giant, giant, like, oh, great. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to miss you. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I'd be so happy I was going. I was so shitty at it. It was, but anyway, so that started. And then, um, you know, from the beginning, we started running locally up in, you know, the Thumb of Michigan is where I kind of live here. And, and, you know, so uh, we started running around and, and hooked up with a builder, hooked up with a manufacturer and worked really hard. And so we, we um, you know, started doing installations. I brought on one guy and for probably a good five years, I worked with one other guy, you know, and just hammered him in the ground. And, and we would just work, you know, seriously like those, like, like a lot of the guys that work today. Right. And, and just work, you know, you work and you're installing, you know, 500 feet, you know, a day sometimes more we've installed 1100 feet a day which but then you don't install that much the next day you know we've stayed late to get things done and then the next day you grab that hammer and you're just like oof you know so right and and this is back in the days when you know we use those uh 045s which are the black the black uh, manual nailers and you know i still use a black manual nailer only because it's like i can because i'm not swinging it every day but if i go out on a job and i'm swinging a hammer i'll absolutely swing that I think it's an easier one to swing. No cords, no noise. Yeah, Yeah, they're fantastic. So when you got Um, started, I mean, is that what you, I I mean, you had a quite a diverse background. And when you were jumping in, it sounds like you were doing decks and you were doing all kinds of things. When you went out and you left, was that 100% of your focus was floors or were you doing a little bit more? No, I mean, no, no, I I actually did roofs. I did everything. I thought just like, look at the money you can make. I mean, I'm making $15 an hour. And then when I started out, I said, well, man, if I can make, $30 an hour. That's amazing. And so I would charge some, I was doing like putting railings on porches and I mean, I'm just kind of going through it and you can figure none of this is, you know, rocket science. So you could figure out how to do carpentry, right? Yeah. It's general carpentry. And so I actually got in one subdivision and I charged a lady like to put a new railing and spindles on her porch. I think I charged her $114. And then I, I was in that subdivision putting railings and, you know, spindles on everybody's porches. because She's telling all (laughs) the neighbors, like, just, we got a live one here, but I mean, I was making 30 bucks an hour. I was all excited, you know? So, um, it was a lot of fun, a lot of learning, but then flooring, we just kind of met with a guy that was a manufacturer. We did one job for him. You know, I'm a normal person. So when you talk to me, I can talk well to customers and I can, and so that gives you a leg up to get the job. You still have to be an animal when you nail the thing down, but you're, you know, just getting in the door and meeting with clients. I was real good at it. And um, early on when I was doing part-time and part, you know, part-time at EDS and part-time at, uh, at, you know, working, I was, so I'd be Thursday through Sunday, I had to get the job done. So I'd be there at Sunday night, seven o'clock, you know, finishing floors. And they were like, holy, the owners are like, thank you for doing, you know, they weren't mad that you were there on a Sunday. They were thrilled you were there on a Sunday because you had to go back to work. Sure. And um, anyway, when we, when I finally left, I don't mean to backtrack. You might have to, it's like a, um, it's like Quentin Tarantino movie. I keep flipping back. (laughs) But but when I, when I finally left, I said to uh, my wife at the time, I said, you know, uh, she's like, I never see you. Um, You're working all the time. You're working 10 hours in Troy a day, which is plus the hour drive each way. And you're, you're gone and then you're working like crazy and I never see you got to make a choice. And I think she thought I was going to choose like to go back into computer science. And I said, okay, easy one. I said, I'm leaving. And she said, well, you, you we need to have $10,000 in the bank. And I said, oh, okay. Okay. And so 
went to a job one day giving a quote quote on installation and um the uh owner's like yep we need you to start when can you start i can start you know three thursdays from this thursday because of thursday you know i could only work thursday and sunday he's like no i need you monday I said i i can't start monday he said you know what give me a price and i said ten thousand yeah. dollars so he's like he's like yes and you know so i i rolled into the job you know with Empty, I had new boxes of like I pulling new equipment out of boxes right on the site. Like I didn't even think like for a minute. Yeah. So that like the ten thousand didn't all make it into the bank, but I thought it was good enough. It was uh, you know. So so anyway, that's how it started. But anyway, huh. then going into installing, you know, you know, I would install. So it's it's like these guys out there, and I know a lot of them now that are just just phenomenal installers. I was always a pretty good installer, um, but I I mean I never took a shortcut and so i never you know when you come to like how do i do this and i tell my guys always do what you know if you can't get a hold of me and you're making a decision take whatever take whatever takes the longest and it's the hardest thing to do that's what you want to do because i can i can explain that i can uh explain that to my client it's it's all you know if you go and a client says what the hell and you said well it was faster right it was easier you're, you're, you're dead. You're a right. dead man. Oh yeah. You got exactly. it. Yeah. So like, let's just do that. Let's just at that moment, let's just do what, you know, the hardest thing, the, the trickiest thing that it takes the longest. And I know we never had. And so that's always been the first thing I tell my guys, because everything we do almost, and I was just thinking about this morning, every, almost every job we have is like the first of something like we're doing an iron floor. Yeah. So just when you come to that moment and they're almost every day where we're coming to a moment, like, what do you do? Like, let's do whatever's takes the longest and it's the hardest to do and then we know we're usually covered and sometimes you're not sometimes you just wasted a lot of time sure but, but overall so you don't you yeah let's let's talk about that. i mean so you went from the old schoolhouse that you and your wife bought and and yeah. cutting green wood and ready to just throw it down square edge to where you're at today and you've got a reputation i mean you've got a reputation within our industry of some elaborate work not just not just parquetry not just marquetry but some stuff that's out of this world. I mean, things that are, that are completely different and outside the box, something that someone might not think about. Um, your reputation within our industry is one thing, but I know, and, and really the key to symposium and having you three presenters there is talking about, um, this reputation that you've built within your own business model and your own industry. How did you get from, the schoolhouse and starting your own business and buying all new tools and coming out to the job site for your first $10,000 job to, 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 to where you're at today, where you're getting you know, clients and designers to come to you because they know that you're going to be the one to create a first time, one of, one of a kind project that's never been done before. You know, I, I think it's honestly, and I know this might sound, it's, I think it's refreshing often when you meet with a designer and you know, a lot of times they want to, they want to create something different, something beautiful and, and, and push the envelope. And how many times do they meet with, you know, one of us, a hardware player, ah, you don't want to do that. Right. And Spriglin's a perfect example. Like how many times does he go to a job and, and he says, we can restore this when 15 other guys say, you just got to rip it out. It's there's no chance for it. Right. Exactly. So you never want to be standing with the 15 guys. You just want to be the guy like, hey, is it harder to do what Sprig is about to do and try to restore this floor? Absolutely. It's harder. I mean, but I always have when everyone goes left, I go right. When they're selling, I'm buying. I I, I just try to keep myself differentiated. But I, I think what 
a lot of what it was is you go to a job and it starts with colors, right? Because you, you know, you'll spend, um, and you guys will talk, you'll hear from Steve Belrose here at the symposium as well. Who's yes. he's, he was making colors last night at nine o'clock and him and I probably talk six times a week, but he is, he is obsessed with colors. And so a lot of designers are obsessed with colors. So when you go to a designer and you try to bring them more than just the, you know, the Duracell chart, right. And, and you show them some things that can be done and you make some sexy samples. Um, I think it, it gets you, it, it puts you a notch above a floor guy, you know, and nothing wrong with a floor guy, but if you, you know, take a survey of the floor guys out there, typically once you fall through every other crack of carpentry, then you're a floor guy. And then the only thing beyond that is roofing. And then when you can't be a roofer, then you go into hospitality, but then you're, I mean, you're really at the bottom of the, you know, people, Oh, wow. You're a cabinet maker or you're a, but the floor guys are just, you know, they're grunts because first it's hard work. It's, there's nothing harder than, than installing a a hardwood floor and finishing a hardwood floor. And, and then all the things we have to, you know, moisture and, 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 you know, conditions and, and, exactly. and all the things we have to fight. You're like, Oh, it's, I, there's a human hair in my finish. Oh, how could that have happened? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> right, right? right. There were six, six hairy, sweaty guys mopping the stain on with rags. <laughs> I don't know where that hair could have came from. And, and so we're held to a level of almost, you know, cabinet guys often uh, as far as the finishes and, and it's just, we're doing it on site. And so it's like guerrilla warfare with whatever you have MacGyver guerrilla warfare with whatever. And when you're in a cabinet shop, you just grab the sprayer, you push it. I mean, everything is so, so dialed and so, and so regimented. And, and, uh, and so we, we just, we have the heart with one of the hardest jobs. So anyway, what, what I, what I think that uh, the way to get from one to the other, and it's really what I think is the most important thing that I have to say is, is touching the, the client. It, and, and I mean that, and if you're not touching the client or the customer, you're, you're at somebody's um, you, somebody's got a lever on you. And, and when I, and it's usually a builder, right. And the builder will replace you in a second if you're 30 cents more. Um, but if you can get a client, to sign on to your vision to say, Hey, that's really, and, and you have to give them more, right? I mean, I, I, every day I'll do things that I I know are probably financially really, really stupid. uh, uh, (laughs) It's really stupid decisions. And, and we just, this is, we're in, we're in the tile business. Now I have, I have six ceramic kilns a year and a half ago. I had zero. I had, I have six ceramic kilns. I have three uh, car shuttle kilns. I have two or 50 cubic feet. These are real. I mean, I have a, I have a ceramic shop that is, and it started with, we're doing a library for a customer. You know, we do a lot of reclaimed brick. We'd go to, you know, at night, we go to the factories in Detroit, we'd pull out brick and we'd cut them off and we'd make these brick floors. We're with a client and I said, you know what we should do? And this is, I had, uh, I had, I That's had the most dangerous pottery. phrase you can say. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it's funny because my wife's like, we got it. You know, you work all the time. Let's have date night. So she signed us up for a pottery class at the Flint Institute <laughs> of Arts. And so we would do this pottery class and we'd, we'd laugh. We'd have a beer on the way there and we'd have a beer on the way back. We'd laugh. We'd make these, you know, five pound coffee mugs. And, and, and it was just, it was a lot of fun. And, and, and so I, as we're working through this, so then, you know, I, I'm two classes under my belt and I really don't know enough. I just know enough to be dangerous. Uh, I just know the jargon. I don't even know anything. I don't know how to make anything. You know, you, sure. you, you make, you throw a, you throw a, a cup or a, or a bowl 
or a, or a wobbly plate and then somebody else fires it. You come back the next week and it's got the glaze you slobbered on there. So anyway, <laughs> so I'm at a meeting and this is a year. And so I said, you know what we should do? We should make all the bricks from local clay. You said this to your and customer. The, and the, yeah, I said this to my customer and the client just said, that sounds awesome. <laughs> and I thought, okay, okay. So, and that's how it, that's how it started. So you fast forward. I have a I have a ceramic shop now that and we've sold but I we we came through we glazed all the bricks with the the ash from my um uh so when we burn fires all year we have two fireplaces going all year um okay. we burn wood that's how I heat my house yeah. and at the end of the year you know at the end of the year I have all the saved up ash so I've developed a, an ash glaze with uh the ash from our fireplace and it's a really beautiful ash glaze and i mean i've done a lot of research there's a lot of other things that happened during this time and i have some real ringers from the flint institute of arts that are cranbrook grads you know retired uh their whole life spent their whole life in in ceramics um wow i have i have some i have some really good uh resources for my you know phone a friend i have uh and i so i i have that which so it's not like i'm going out there and learning anything new but I, I I jump in full bore. I get all the books. I do all the reading. Well, that's so the thing, and that's the thing. Yes. I mean, if you're jumping in and you've got kilns and you're you're making your own brick and your own tile, and I know you're also you have your own iron forge, and yes. you you work with iron and copper and bronze and and to see somebody jump into a trade. I mean, we see it in our industry. We see people jump in and go yeah. rent a sanding some sanding equipment from the rental yard, and and you know they they ruin a floor. Right. But with someone with that craft mentality that understands how important it is to understand all the intricacies and details, the fact that you've jumped in two feet first and learned everything you have to about each one of these different industries, and not only that, but incorporated everything in together to be able to make a promise to a customer and say, we're going to do this for you and we're going to do your floor or your wall or your ceiling or furniture or anything else that they ask you to do. Um, and you figure it out and you make it happen. And that's, I mean, that's going backwards. That's the key that I think why it's going to be so exciting to have you and Sprig and Steve talking about what separates you and your market. And I think it's so important to understand, and everybody understands them, their own market. There's people, the majority of our industry is masters of where they've placed themselves in their market. It, mm-hmm. it it's still and I, I still tell the story today. I wasn't aware that there was a market that was that high end that could be charging ten times what I was even thinking my top dollar rate was back in my market back twenty years ago. But yeah, it you didn't know. Yeah, you don't know, and and we don't have that market. I mean, there's a couple people in Michigan, but again, I would die in Michigan. I would. I we just started growing our our base, right? So what happened with me is, and you know, sometimes it's just hard times. Uh, or something happens that, you know, you're comfortable, you're the fat lion. And, and, and I've, ne- I've always been trying, like any job that I've ever, ever been on, hey, can I put a border in before I, I want to put a border in? I won't even charge you for the border. And you put in a Brazilian cherry border. And, I, and it's funny, I still have a, a book. My dad put it together with a Brazilian cherry border. So it's basically a three-board border. And I put a Brazilian cherry like board around the outside of the room. Yeah. And I was like, I was so proud of it. I took 1,500 pictures. Sure. And I carried around that historic floors of Oshkosh catalog in my pocket. Like it was all, and I right. would just show people, can we do it? I just, you just pay for the, for the, whatever they are, whatever border. And I'll put it in just so I can get that picture and just feel like you built yeah. something. And so I've always, like pushed 
in that to, I've always tried to like give more and, and back, you know, 25, 20 years ago, you'd go to a job and they're like, Oh, we were, we saw a Versailles parquet. We want to do a Versailles parquet. And you say, well, man, if we, if you just give me the, just the difference in, in the cost of the material and give us a little bit of labor, I, I, I'm not going to make, I want to do this other parquet. Right. So you, I've, I have every book ever made written on parquet flooring, right? So I have every book that's out there. I, I have, you know, 10,000 patterns of parquet. So you could take the book to the client and say, listen, let's go through this. Let's create something different. And for $12,000 more for this, you know, thousand foot room, I will do this. And so you can sign a client on for that and then you do it. And then you, again, you push it to the next level. You know, early on, I, I had a, you know, it, it's sometimes people think I'm working out of a barn, but you know, I have a, I have, my family has a tool and die shop. I mean, I could build an airplane there. I could build anything mm-hmm. there. So that's, I have that in my back pocket. So I don't want us to sound like I did this myself, but we would go there at night and I had a whole, I had a 50,000 foot shop that I could play all night. I mean, I still had to work every day to pay the bills, sure. but you could go and, and, and so on a, if you have a client, they go, Oh, the house is on a radius. And so everybody else is, you know, creating some, wacky pattern or something that uh treats it like it's a, like it's an irregular shape right and it's not an irregular shape it's a beautiful radius so then i go and i cut you know curved planks and a curved herringbone which is one of the actually that curved herringbone job that we did yeah. but i made i made probably seven three by five samples and you roll into the job and you have your samples there and then you know the designer and the architect like how much is this going to cost and i said it's going to be $120 a foot and there, and which I would never even do that job for $120 a foot now, but they said, she's going to jump out the window. And, but you know, you walk into these houses and you say, how much is that chandelier? How much would it be to do this curved floor in stone? I mean, start asking those questions and you start to feel very comfortable charging. You know, we just did a job um, on fifth Avenue at three seventy-five a foot. But I mean, the stone version of that is 900 a foot. Hmm. And and you don't even realize those that there's people out there spending. I I, I never knew, right? You never right, knew, right? And, and 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 so there's there's people willing to pay that out there, um, if you can show them that you're and and pe- right now we get a lot of jobs from a, a pencil drawing. Now I can get a job from a pencil drawing without samples, without any. Um, we we've got some projects right now that we drew didn't even draw the whole like a table. We have a table that's iron and end grain and iron and it, we it's a pencil drawing of a corner of the table so it's wow. i mean we can so we're at that place now but again we have if someone gives you their trust you have to over deliver every time right. and i i cannot tell you how many times i've just completely lost my ass on but i but i will never come up short i will throw the whole i will throw every dollar under the bus to make sure that we deliver to the to the client and over deliver. And I think that's probably one of the most important things that that you're sharing and that I think is so important. I mean this the, this side of the industry, the side of the industry that you're in and Sprigs in and Steve is in, um it's not for everybody. It's for a very a very select few people oh. and I think a big part of that is understanding there's business side and then there's this side and this side does interact with the business side, but you're not going to get into a million dollar floor by just jumping into it. Cause you learned a few things. It, it really no. is trial and error. It really is doing things at 
a cost to you right. to be able to yeah. build that re- that reputation, which which you've done. Yeah, and you can't. It's funny we did the so one of the jobs that we did. Um, I'll bring it up on, in the sponsor, but it was a job, and it's kind of one of my favorite jobs. Although we we charged a hundred thousand dollars. If if I were doing the job for a real person, I would have charged, you know, seven or eight hundred. We we <laughs> actually we built the timber frame in our shop. We hand scraped the timber frame. We did all we we hauled the timbers out of the forest of the owners. And it's this cherry. It's a basically a cherry tree that we had put together. Right. So it's that that's thirteen hundred feet of that cherry tree. It's end grain and concrete all the way around. Uh, it's the timber frame, the ceiling, the walls, the another seventeen uh, hundred uh, foot plank room wall to wall with. So there's all. But I did it because it's six miles from my house. It's in my town. Um, but it's like when you. But then I got that job, which I would have went out of business had I not had you know the other two jobs that were, you know, a herringbone floor. Right. A Chevron herringbone floor where they we were making really great money project in Boca. We were making really great money. So you take that money and you go do the thing that makes you, you know, that can get you some and you don't do it for an Italian builder. Um, right. You do it for, uh, you know, a public space or or something community or a, um, you know, a yoga studio, somebody who's, you know, living on 30,000 bucks a year and you create a cool, you know, I, I was just about to pull uh a really cool design for a friend of mine. They had a yoga studio and then COVID hit. Right. But just do it. Right. You go right. spend the time, use the scrap uh, lumber, do something to give back or put it out there and not, and not look for anything in return. It always just has always come back. It doesn't come back immediately and you got to have the, the chops to, you know, to gut through it. But um, it always comes back. I just think if you're, but again, if this is a, this is a kind of a lifestyle. Like, I mean, Again, I mean, my wife wanted to go to date night and I, she said I ruined it because now I turned it into work. <laughs> She's like, you, you idiot. Like, what do you, I don't know. So she won't even go to pottery class with me anymore because I know all the people there and they all have done work with me and they, and they, we talk about, so I get too deep. And so she's like, you, you ruined it. You just ruined it. So anyway, but well, it, it's, um, what I'm excited about, and, and again, Symposium is going to be great. And I know what you guys, and we're working together with you, Spriglin, and, and Steve Belrose to work through what it is that you've done in your markets to separate yep. yourselves and to build up this niche market. But also, right. you guys are going to be talking a little bit about uh, challenging projects that you've had mm-hmm. to make it through um, that didn't go the way you had planned. And I think that's what's going to be exciting. We're going to be able to have a lot of Q and a and interaction with the audience. And I think what yeah. you guys are willing to share is, is going to be invaluable to anybody who's a certified professional or anybody who is looking at, at, at building their reputation in their market yeah. and who, and who better to learn it from than, than three yeah. guys like you and Sprig and Steve. And I hadn't yeah. known Steve in the past, but what I'm getting to learn about Steve, I mean, a color genius, somebody who understands finishes and colors, probably better than almost anybody else in our industry. Yeah. Steve is about a hundred times better hardwood floor guy than I am or ever have been. Or, and you know, and, and here's another thing. It's like, I don't have the market here to do what I do. Didn't even know. I mean, so what happened with us is we were running about 20 guys before the crash, right? The crash, uh, 
in 09, we were running about 19 guys. I always say 20, I round them up, but we had 19 guys. And so we're running, we had probably 80% of our work was just strip floor or plank floor or something that wasn't that exciting. But then we had the 20% that was really fun stuff. And then we ended up getting a job in New York City for a Russian at the Plaza Hotel, about 4,500 square feet of really over the top, you know, ornamental hermitage style flooring. And, uh, that crash hit and every job in Michigan, big job shut down. And that was the only job that I had on the books was that job. And it was over a million dollars, but I mean, I don't, didn't know how to work in New York city. I said to my wife, I I'm going to, I got to do this myself. I mean, I'm not sending someone and hope they do the job when there's no work here. I'm going to go myself and make sure this happens. And so I moved to New York and, uh, I would work, you know, Monday through Friday take the there was a spirit 6 a.m. flight on uh, Monday morning, take that flight, land at eight, get to the job by, you know, nine o'clock. And then I'd work. And then at the end of the week on Friday, I'd fly back home and I would do that. I did that for two years. Hmm. And I had an apartment on, on, on the Lower East Side uh, near Katz's Deli and um, five story walk up. And I just I lived there. Hmm. And so that was what we did to get through that crash. And it was just me. And I would bring in the guy if I needed a couple guys, I'd bring them in which I did often. I said, Hey, I need, you know, a good finisher. And so I would call on these guys that used to be employees of mine that were trying to, you know, everyone's just trying to survive. And you look back and it was a really hard time. My kids were all in private. So my kids, I have four kids. They were all in private school the entire time. I kept them in private school. It was so hard. And right, right before I went to New York city, I had subs helping me and I had, we were on a $7 million house and uh, they stuffed, rags in a bucket and put it in a so they oh, no. burned the, started a fire in this house i mean talk about the things that you like look back and you laugh and you i wasn't laughing sure. then but they put rags in a bucket put it in the bathroom started a fire burned the the stub off of the toilet uh the the feed you know the it's so desoldered i know that's probably oh, not a word wow. but it desoldered and it put the fire out great $500,000 worth of damage. All the floors were destroyed. Insurance companies like, we got it. We're going to, we're going to replace everything, but we can't pay me, John Urema to do the floors again, because, you know, you, that's the one thing we're not paying for because you can't, I can't have an insurance policy, wreck a house and then get to do my floors again. Right. Makes so sense. I was able, probably cost me about $85,000 when I didn't have the money to uh, reinstall this floor. I said, I ripped out everything. They said, well, maybe you could rip out here. I said, it's all coming out. Everything that got wet's coming out. And the, the owner was great. Everybody was, um, they were, I mean, understanding for the most part. Um, but then I went to New York with that albatross around my neck. Lloyd's wow. of London, Lloyd's of London was my insurance company. So that's who would insure me. Wow. So the number was staggering. It was a staggering number. And I somehow made it, you know, I made it through, but every, you know, it was, it was so tricky. But during that time I was in New York city, it opened my eyes to see like, what's like the amount of money being spent on things, you know? So we went from Lapeer, Michigan, when we were getting paid $6 and 25 cents with the wood all in to install sand and finish back in the day. Right. Hmm. And then you're like, man, if I go to Birmingham, Michigan, where the wealthier people are, you can make $11 and you're like, wow. (laughs) And then. Then you go to New York City and you're like, wait a minute, there is no limit. If you show them something that's incredible. And again, you you I I a lot of people couldn't go to New York City and sell what I, I have sold because I have a 
you know, I've been doing this 30 years. So, but it's not saying you can't make some beautiful samples and, and pitch people and get them, you know, start in that direction, right. And start to build a body of work that, that right. people feel comfortable taking a chance on you, you know? So, exactly. um, it, it's so my net or so Steve, you know, you go to Steve Belrose who does an amazing job, amazing job in Minneapolis, let's say, but he's in Minneapolis and he gets called outside of Minneapolis because he, you know, he does Chanel and he does some consulting for people because he's, is the color guy. He's the best, he's the best finisher. So every chance I get, if I, if I'm doing a yacht in Malta, Steve, come on, you want to go to Malta? Let's go. So Steve is like, I'm trying to get Steve, you know, to, to be on all of my jobs because first he's just, he's, he, you'll, as you, when you meet him, you'll know he's amazing. He's a, he's a very smart person. Um, He's a lot of fun. He's got great stories and he's just a, you know, he's a pleasure to hang out with. And he's a, he's a working dog. Like he's 60 years old and works our guys. You know, our guys are falling asleep in the van, leaving the job. He pushes everybody really hard. So just a great, great guy. Uh, This is, this is probably, and I don't want to keep keep you on for, for the whole day because I know we could keep on talking, but this is really going to be a a great opportunity. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, just to be, to spend any amount of time with you and with Sprig Lynn and with Steve is, is invaluable. And to have, an afternoon to be able to sit and and talk and interact and hear the stories and also look at it from a business perspective um, of of how you guys have done it and the fact that you, all three of you are willing to share this information it's it's going to be it's going to be phenomenal so I, I really want to thank you for for your time I think this has been a nice taste of where we're going to go with this with this presentation at symposium um, perfect. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to to to? No, I think I, no, I, I think the only thing that the, I think the the probably the most important thing that I have to say is just is how do you define yourself in your market? How did you define yourself? You have to like look in the mirror, decide how hard you really want to work. Um, you know, it's hard to outwork a lot. Of, I mean, it's it's hard to outwork those guys that are, you know, thirty years old. Uh, or 20 years old, sure. right? You got 25 year old installers. Like if that's what you want to do, you, that's a tough, like every day I get, you get older and slower. Yeah. You have to, you, you have to start thinking about, you know, how do I define myself? I mean, do you try to run a crew of guys? Do you, how, I don't know. You know, you have to think about what, how you can, you know, stay. And I, and I, I think the goal would be being successful is to try to touch the client touch the designers because when you don't have a builder in between you and the, and the owner, you know, that you get to, you can charge more for a, uh, you know, for your knowledge. And, and, and if there's a builder in the middle, he's going to take the money. He's going to get the cheapest guys, right. They're going to. And so you, and you never, you know, I, I had a guy during the last, when it would think we're booming. He's like, Oh no, I just worked for this one builder. He's got more work than we can ever do. And I thought, I, I, I think I gasped. I said, like who would want to give someone all that power when things slow down just a little bit and there's another guy right right now, everybody who wants to work can work, but when it gets tight and that builder gets to pick you or another guy for the same product, you know what? It's going to not going to be that much fun. It's exactly. going to be so. So anyway, just define yourself and be, be able to like steer the boat a little bit, have the rudder. You got to have the rudder. So oh, that's anyway, that's all. So yeah. And, and, and again, uh, Steve Bellrose and, and uh, Sprigland are probably two of the finest. I talked to them all. Uh, but I mean, talk to them probably each almost every day, but 
just guys that are, you know, fighting the fight and, and, uh, into their trade and, and, and yeah. So, I mean, that'd be fun to talk with these guys for sure. It will. Well, John, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your stories and I'm looking forward to hearing more of them. So um, we appreciate it and have a great rest of the week. All right, sir. Thank you so much, Brett. Thanks, John. Take care.